You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Then we find in part two of this constitution, in clause 17, the document states, when the Muslims fight for the defense of Medina, the Jews must pay the former's share of the expenses of war. Basically, when Muslims would go to war, the Jewish tribes were not obligated to go to war. However, since they were now one ummah, one nation, and the Muslims were defending the city of Medina and the Jews were living in the city and around the city. So the document states, if you don't participate in the battle, then at least you have to fund the battle because you can't just sit there and have Muslims, you know, pay for it and give casualties and you enjoy the safety and security. So the burden of keeping Medina secure has to be shared by the Jewish tribes. So they were given that option. If they'd like to join the battle and defend along with, you know, stand along with Muslims and defend Medina, fine. They can come and, you know, pay their own expenses and the Muslims will pay their own expenses. But if they choose to stay safe at home and not offer any, uh, you know, sacrifices, then at least they would have to fund the battle. There's a word for it in Arabic. You mean the jizya? This one is, is not the jizya. That's something that was introduced later. But yes, it carries aspects of the jizya. Yeah, that's the um, tax basically that non-Muslims have to pay. Why yes. Well, it's it's a big sin, first of all, for the Muslims to avoid the battle. Remember, in an earlier clause, the Prophet said that burden is on everyone. Some of them decided not to. They would not go and they would not fund it. So that was a violation of this document, but they were the hypocrites, what do you do with them? So in the eyes of Allah, they were sinners, but the Prophet really didn't do anything because... So, so, the, so the assumption was made that the burden of war was, was made on the Muslims, not the Jews. Why? Because the Muslims do not want to force the Jews to come and fight. See, the Prophet is giving them that freedom. The Prophet is saying when Medina comes under attack and we formed one nation, if the Jews would like to participate in the battle, you know, that's great. They're going to offer the sacrifice. Some of them did. We'll talk about one of them. Some of them did. So they're more welcome. But if they don't want to participate, we give them that right. We don't force them. So it's not like being drafted in the military where you're forced to go to war. And look at the beauty of Islam. The Prophet did not force non-Muslims to fight. Even though the state had come under attack. The whole city had come under attack, but the Prophet says, I give you that freedom. You don't want to fight? Fine, don't fight. But at least chip in because we're giving you security. Is it because an Islamic state is being formed? Is it, this constitution, it's be, is, is, it, is it for an Islamic state being formed? Is that why the burden of war falls on the Muslims and not on the non-Muslims? See, the Prophet had not declared their territory an Islamic state, no. The Prophet had declared it as one nation that includes other monotheistic religions as well. So at, up until this point, no, this was not an Islamic state. But the Prophet, to give them 
their freedom, because they could argue, you know what, and according to our religious beliefs, we don't want to go to this war. They could come up with a number of excuses. The Prophet will... It's a responsibility, yes. It's even also a civic responsibility, right? Because you're enjoying the safety of the city. The Muslims are dying in the battlefield, so you stay safe. So morally, socially, they should have participated, but the Prophet said, I'm not going to impose it on you. Either you participate or at least, you know, fund the Muslims who would go to fight. But if they participate, they don't pay. They pay for their own expenses of, of participating, yes. Like per so the family, per, like household, like per person? Well, the Prophet gave them a system of how much, uh, you know, they have to participate. How, what's the burden of that war? What are the costs incurred? How many are going? So the Prophet would examine these details. It varies from war to war, yes, exactly. It varies, the size of the Muslims kept growing, that also varies. No, they didn't have a problem paying. In fact, they preferred that. You definitely prefer to pay and not send your sons and men to get killed. <laughs> you know, that was uh, for them a great opportunity. They don't have martyrdom? They did originally, but then over time, as, as they started denying the um, Akhirah, the Day of Judgment, that kind of, um, you know, faded from their, from their religion. Or it, you know, today, today, many, many Jews today, they don't believe in heaven and hell. Yeah, yeah they don't. They have some vague idea of some afterlife, but in heaven and hell, like Muslims and, and Christians believe, they don't believe in it anymore. This is something their rabbis and scholars changed throughout history. Yeah, so ask today, ask them, they're not clear on heaven and hell. Does that stop them from committing sins and all that? That's why they don't, they do commit. And, and that's why the Qur'an says you find them the most attached to this world. Because to them, that's it. This is your opportunity. Be successful, be rich, be powerful. There's nothing on the other side. <laughs> A lot of them believed in that. Over time, they changed their beliefs. Today, if you go and search for their ideas of heaven and hell, it's very vague. Many of them don't believe in heaven and hell. So... And then in the second part, the Prophet begins to examine their tribes one by one. For example, the Prophet says the Jews of Bani Auf, they are a tribe from the Ansar, are allies of the Muslims and they are tantamount to one nation. The Muslims and the Jews are free in the matter of their law and religion. Look at this clause in 7th century Arabia. Muslims and Jews are free in the matters of their religion. So the Prophet was actually granting religious freedom to those people in Medina. The Jews are free to exercise their religion. There were some Christians. The reason why the Prophet did not sign a document with them because they didn't have a sizable tribe, maybe just a few here and there. But because there was a sizable Jewish tribe, he did this treaty. But this also includes Christians as well, yes. So that was my question earlier when you said that any Jew that converts to Islam will be protected. Is that the same for Jews that just stay in Jewish? Oh yes, of course. See, the reason why the Prophet stated that, so there wouldn't be backlash, right? So the Muslims wouldn't like reject you, hey, we don't trust you, who are you coming and, you know, uh, converting. And also to, you know, let the Jews know that if someone wants to convert, let them, give them that freedom. So, of course, the Jews were welcome to stay Jews. 
The Prophet did invite them to the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in this clause, in clause 18, the Prophet makes it very, very clear. He says the Muslims and Jews are free in the matter of their law and religion. So if you Jews have your own law, we recognize that, we respect that, and you respect our law. We respect your religion and you respect our religion. Look at the respect that the Prophet started with when it comes to these Jews. And then the Prophet states the following, he says the slaves are not exempt from this clause too, meaning your slave also has the freedom to practice their faith. You as a master, you cannot control the faith of your slave. So the slaves were protected by this clause, just like the free men were protected by this clause. So the Prophet granted religious freedom to people who were free and also to the slaves. They were given that religious freedom as well. Then in clause 19, the Prophet mentions the other tribes, the Jews of Bani Najjar, Bani Harith, Bani Sa'dah, Bani Jashem, Bani Aus, Bani Tha'laba, Bani Shatiba are like the Jews of Bani Auf, there's no distinction between them. Every document that I'm signing with one tribe applies to all these tribes. And the Prophet had them sign on this document. So they have all the rights and privileges. Then the Prophet mentions in clause 23, no one enjoys the right to abandon this agreement without the permission of Muhammad. Some Orientalists attack, hey see look, he's making, he's forcing them to sign this document, they can't withdraw from it except by his permission. But why do you think the Prophet made this clause? Because if you make an agreement and you form one nation, and when you form one nation in matters of security, in matters of warfare, they know each other's secrets, then suddenly the Jews are like, hey, Let's leave this uh, document, let's leave this treaty and we're free to do what we want. What would, ha what would happen to the Muslims? Can you Im imagine the danger that will surround them? So the Prophet, when he didn't force them to sign this, it's not like he had an army to force them, they willingly signed with him. He made an offer, let's sign an agreement. They're like, okay, initially it makes sense, let's, let's sign on this document. But the Prophet said, look, if you sign, you can't just leave like that. Because then we're going to trust one another, we're going to depend on one another, we're going to share secrets with one another. If you want to leave, it has to be by my permission. You have to come, explain why you're leaving, if we find your reasons to be legitimate, ahlan and you could leave the, the, the constitution and go form your own thing. But if we suspect you're conspiring, we, won't, we don't give you that freedom. So do you really find anything problematic with this clause? Be as objective as you can. You are a community leader, you're bringing two sides and they're forming one nation and they're sharing secrets with another. If one side wants to back out, shouldn't it be with an understanding with the permission of the other side? Or no, just walk out whenever you want. You can't walk out whenever you want, you know, that does a lot of damage to uh, to the security situation here. Yes, say. Was there anything like Sokhat Khalilia they could change? The agreement, was there anything, any clause in there? Yes, they can change, the Prophet stipulates, they can change the agreement if both sides agree. Was there anything changed in this agreement? No, they just conspired and... Uh, they agreed with everything? Yeah, they agreed to all of this. See, all of these items that the Prophet introduces to them, they accepted. And the Prophet told them, these clauses that we have here, we can always amend them. 
If we decided, hey, let's change clause 15. If you agree and the Muslim side agrees, we'll change it. So this wasn't like set in stone and that's it, we're stuck with this for life. If both parties agree, then it can be changed. Now when the Prophet offered them this, they didn't make any changes to it. It's reasonable, anyone, especially, you know, today with the United Nations and rights, we look at this document and it's really a beautiful document. Imagine in 7th century Arabia, this was something that was amazing and the Jews realized, you know what, this is going to allow us to form a powerful nation. Now you know the real reason why they signed on this? They didn't believe, they rejected the Prophet as we shall see next week. I'll give you some examples of how they harbored hatred and resentment toward the Prophet. We'll, we'll share some examples. They were opportunists. They're like, this guy has a document that can make us a powerful nation. Then we'll get rid of these crazy Arabs, these Muslims. We'll be the leaders of the state and we'll be able to compete with the Romans and the Persians. Exactly, that was their goal. And they almost reached that goal at the battle of the parties, Ahzab. They almost reached it. The Muslims at one point were almost about to be obliterated but Allah saved them. To the point where the Quran says, the Sahaba, the companions, when they saw the conspiracy of the Jews with the Mushrikeen, and the Mushrikeen had mobilized a massive army to come and wipe out Islam for once and for all, the Quran says, in the battle of Hunayn, the eyes of the companions would no longer see. That's how scared they were. And it's as if their hearts were stuck in their throats. And they, and they doubted Allah. Allah says it was a spiritual earthquake for these Sahaba. They started doubting the existence of God. Where is God? Is this true? Is He really a prophet? They were almost obliterated, the Muslims. So if you look at the tactics the Jews employed, they were really smart tactics to eradicate the Muslims. And they found this document initially, let's play along, let's form one strong nation and then revolt and take over. And they almost did, they almost did. And it's after these incidents that the Prophet had some of them executed because they almost had thousands of Muslims executed, almost. Yes, we'll see, we'll go in detail when it comes to Khandaq and the Ahzab and Hunayn and also Khaybar of what they did. When you examine what they did, step by step, you'll see, you'll see why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent their wrath on them. It's just unbelievable what they did, knowing that He's the Messenger of Allah. And in fact, they had people in the tribe when they were in the fort, they had people in the tribe begging their leaders. By the way, we believe according to historic evidence as we'll see, the Prophet didn't execute all of them. He executed the leaders of, you know, for example, the Jews of Khaybar. Not everyone, you know. You have uh, the Sunni tradition state, yeah, the Prophet executed anyone who was over the age of puberty. That's not the case. We're going to discuss that. The Prophet executed the leaders. There are people in the fort who came and begged their leaders. Do not commit treason with Muhammad. We've not seen anything but goodness from him. Now that you have an opportunity to side with the mushrikeen, you want to get rid of him, don't do this. 
Some of them even told their leaders, we'll talk about them later. He's really supported by God. We really see him supported by God. Don't endanger us. If you commit treason, it's going to come back at us. But they didn't accept. So they did it more than once? Yes, they committed treason a number of times. Some of them, as we shall see, the Prophet ﷺ exiled some Jewish tribes when they committed a treason. The Prophet didn't kill them, he exiled them. He told them to leave. You have not honored the treaty, you have conspired, you almost had us killed, leave the area. So he had them exiled. Um, some of them he had, you know, uh, he imposed attacks on them, and some of them, their leaders were executed, yes. So we shall examine the details of that inshallah later.